Hello and welcome to the Telehealth OT podcast where occupational therapists, parents, caregivers, and patients share their telehealth stories. My name is Dr. Reina Oliveira and I am the owner of Telehealth OT Services where we specialize in working with children with autism and also provide education and trainings to occupational therapists about telehealth. I have been able to share my story with the world and now I am extremely happy to give others the opportunity to do the same. Our guest today is Melanie Batista, and I am so excited to have Melanie here. Melanie, as soon as I saw your website, blog, whatever it was, I was like, I got to talk to her. And she, you have an awesome post on telehealth. And I was like, I got to talk to her. She knows what she's talking about. And you're going to be doing two mock sessions for my program. So I'm so excited about that, but I'm super happy to have you here today. So welcome and thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rena. Thanks. So Melanie, how, what is your OT story? How did you first learn about occupational therapy? Sure, my OT story goes back a long, long time ago. <laughs> I actually decided to become an OT when I was 14. And um, yeah, and I- very far away from 14 now. I won't, do the, I won't do the math. Um, but I've been an OT for a little more than 20 years. So um, I, I had always loved working with children and I always thought I'd be a teacher. And I babysat children and the family ended up turning into a family of four. And I started working for them when I was 11. So um I just really, I always loved kids and everybody who had children always would give me their kids to babysit. And um, I had a neighbor next door who um, had learning challenges growing up. She was a year older than myself. And I kind of watched her go through some of the struggles in school and kind of the things that she struggled with in life. And that just kind of turned me on to a whole nother set of working with kids and working with kids with disabilities. And then um, my mom had gone to a um, career day. She was not an OT or in the field, but she went to a career day at a local high school and she met a girl who was an occupational therapist. And she came home and she said, oh, I met this woman today and she does some sort of thing with kids. And I just think you would really like it and you should call her and go to work with her. And I was like, <laughs> who is this woman? <laughs> I just like, go to work with some stranger. She said, no, no, she, she would love to have you. And she's really young and she just got out of school and she works with kids. And I, you know, I told her about you, so I think you should go. So PS I did. And she was an occupational therapist. She worked in early intervention and preschool. And I drove around in the car with her all day and she took me from place to place. And I met all these amazing kids and I came home and I said, I'm going to be an OT when I grow up. <laughs> that and, is so ah. cool. Wow. Yeah. You have a yeah. unique story. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it stuck. There was, there was a little time that I wavered a little bit in college, um, particularly going through mental health, which ironically now I feel like is the thing that pulls it all together. But back then I just didn't have the bigger picture and I really disliked it and thought, mm, maybe I chose the wrong path. And, uh, I called home one day and my dad said, you're going to be an OT. And if you decide that you don't want to be an OT, you'll go back to school and use your own money and you'll go do something else. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh, okay. Yes, sir. And I'll 
I'll be an OT. So and no regrets, right? No regrets. Glad he put his foot down. I, like I said, I've been in the field a little bit more than 20 years. I really have loved every minute. I've worked in pretty much every setting you can imagine. Um, kind of one of those OTs that just needed to try it all and um, wanted to try it all. So uh, I definitely love pediatrics and only left for a short period of time and came running back and knew that everything else wasn't really for me. But uh, I have worked outpatient NICU, hospital, clinic, early intervention, home-based, uh, you name it. I've kind of, kind of been there. <laughs> Wow. I remember when I was in school, one of my professors was like talking about all the jobs that she's had in like a year. I'm like, is this okay? Like, I thought you weren't supposed to leave your job like for a year so that your resume didn't look like you had changed jobs. Like what's wrong with you? But apparently Mm -hmm. like, that's okay in OT, like to have all these jobs in all these fields. Yeah. We, we kind of, uh, we kind of float around a little bit and just try to find our niche for sure. I've, I've had stints where I've stayed for long terms, but, um, I've had a lot of jobs where I've just done a year or I did travel therapy for a period of time too. So there I got to be exposed to a lot of different settings every 13 weeks and just doing different things. So that was fun too. That's awesome. I always wanted to do travel therapy, but I never did. So would you yeah. say that telehealth is your is your niche now? How did you first hear about telehealth? Yeah, so I did a little bit of telehealth when I worked in early intervention in Colorado. I held that position for about six years. And we had a lot of families that were living in rural areas and it snows a lot in Colorado. So um, kind of came about early on, they really wanted to adopt the teletherapy um, format of service delivery. And so I tried a little bit there. And then my family made a move from Colorado to South Carolina two years ago. And the process for life insurance South Carolina is slow, kind of like most things here. And so I needed to find work, but I didn't have a license here. So I said, well, I've still got my Colorado license. What can I do? And started researching some telehealth companies and then um, got signed on. And I actually ended up with a school district in Colorado and that's the school district that I've been serving for the last two years. Oh, that's awesome. So so stayed. Oh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. That's awesome that that worked out. So are you licensed in South Carolina as well or no? I'm licensed in South Carolina, in Colorado and in Mississippi. Mm, Why Mississippi? I have a school district in Mississippi as well. So is that something that the company that you work for asked you to do? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do they, we talked about on um, the episode with Linda about mm-hmm. some companies maybe paying for licensure. Is that something that yeah. you've experienced? Yeah. So they do, my company does provide a portion of the licensure requirement if it's a, if it's something they've requested you to do. So if they have a job assignment that comes up in a state, and you're not currently licensed and they asked you to become licensed if you want to take that. I'm a 1099 contractor, so I can say yay or nay if I want to do it or not. Um, but if I do, they will pay um, towards licensure. So Awesome. So what, what, that is really good because mm-hmm. licensures are expensive. Um, sure. Yeah, especially when you have to get licensed in multiple states and then every state is different. Some are every year, every two years, you know, so it gets tricky trying to remember which state's coming up for renewal and then MBCOT and trying to keep all the regs straight too. So 
Yeah, everyone like seems to be under the impression that I want to be licensed in 50 states. I'm like, absolutely not. I'd rather have 50 employees or 50 to 99 contractors one in each state than to be licensed in 50 states. No way. It's it's definitely, uh, yeah, it would be like a part-time job just trying to keep up with everything. Yeah, so speaking of part-time, are you able to get full-time hours if that's what you want um, with one telehealth company? Yes, however you would need to be licensed for sure in multiple states. At um, least how many think, would you say? Um, right now, like between my Colorado and Mississippi schools, I had full-time at the end of the school year. Um, I chose to be part-time at the beginning of the school year this year because I've got a little one at home, so I can't, I couldn't work full-time, so I didn't have full-time childcare. Um, so for me, part-time works. Um, and then towards the end of the year with, with COVID happening, they had the need in a Mississippi school district, and that was a full caseload of like 43 students. So um, then it really became 40 hours, but not all of them wanted the direct, um, you know, synchronous service. So ended up working out where, you know, it was maybe working 20 hours a week, you know, 20, 25 hours a week. All right. So you brought up um, synchronous and so that brings up asynchronous. Are you doing asynchronous work? with yes yeah in telehealth so i'm doing both i were towards the end of the school year i mean towards the beginning of the school year i was only synchronous i was working in the school building in colorado with a school that i've been with for two years um, we have a paraprofessional that was assigned to occupational therapy this year which was different from the year prior which was amazing so she only was she was hired by the district basically to be the ot paraprofessional she worked with myself and there was one other um OT from my company that was hired by the district as well. So we covered uh, three elementary schools, the middle school and the high school. And she just drove around. She was there obviously in the town and she drove around from school to school. We scheduled all our appointments and she'd be the one to get the students, bring them down, et cetera, make sure we have the materials that we need, push into the classroom. Um, and then when COVID hit, Colorado decided that they only wanted to provide asynchronous services because they're very rural. They had a lot of students that they knew were not going to have internet access, and um, there was just no way they could get them up and running with um, connecting all of those students. So we provided asynchronous services to that school. Um, so that looked like weekly packets that I had to construct for every single student on my caseload, and they had to be individualized. So. Um, those were pushed out via email through their Google Classrooms, et cetera. And then the district in Mississippi wanted to have synchronous services, but by the time I reached out to 43 plus families, I you know, ended up with maybe 12 that ended up being weekly synchronous. And then some of them were asynchronous with providing some packets and things to do at home. Some I did a few phone calls. Um, some we ended up texting back and forth. A lot of them decided to put services on hold. So there was kind of a mixed bag of everything. What was the biggest objection that you got from parents like during this time for not wanting to do telehealth? Um, being overwhelmed for sure was number one, just completely being overwhelmed and trying to work and manage children at home and trying to keep their jobs. Um, having other children in the in the house at the same time, and some of them had young children at home. They were like, I can't attend to the baby and be face-to-face um, -face on the computer. 
with you for half an hour um, straight. Um, lots of students just, again, in Mississippi, it's rural. They didn't have good connection. They didn't have device. The school was trying to get Chromebooks to the students, but that was slow in getting them delivered. And then by the time they could, families were like over it <laughs> and just exhausted and tired. So a lot of them just never got off the ground because of that. So can you speak, like, do you know about like the financial side of it? Like, are, you know, is asynchronous billable through the school versus synchronous? Right. Like what happens with those kiddos who don't want to participate? Does the school lose funding? You know, I don't really know too much about the back end. I know as far as Colorado was concerned, we were given the flexibility to provide the services. Well, actually not in Colorado, in Mississippi, we were given the flexibility to provide the services however were needed. Um, Mississippi is kind of a little different in that they, all of their students on occupational therapy there need a script from the doctor. Okay. That's not the way it is for the students that I work with in Colorado. Um, Mississippi also, they do not have um, OT goals written on their IEPs, which was like, that was a first. I never heard that. Wow. Uh, they're working towards that, but that was not something that was present this year on their IEPs and has not been present before. And so there's a lot of different things and differences from state to state, school to school. And so, you know, what happened on the back end as far as what was billable and what was not, I can't really speak to. But um, yeah, we we did have liberty to kind of do whatever families needed in Mississippi. And then, like I said, Colorado made the executive decision that everyone was getting asynchronous. We would push out the assignments and we would push out things for students to do at home. And if families did them, they did them. And if they didn't, there was not much we could do, so. Gotcha. So are you getting, um, are you getting paid for your planning time? Yes. I do, get paid, I do get paid for my planning time, and I know that's not the case with every company because I did a lot of research when I initially started because um, although I love teletherapy, one of the biggest things, and you'll probably hear me say that a lot in my blogging, is that it takes a lot of time, a lot more time to plan for your teletherapy sessions than it does for your in-person sessions, and I knew going into this that there was no way I could take a position that wasn't going to pay me for that you know, planning time, so... My company's really great about that. I'm fortunate. I, I know that not every company does that. So, so how do you like keep track of that? You know, or do they have a system in place? We have a system built into our therapy platform that does all of our billing, scheduling, um, documentation, and so um, I just keep kind of a running tab. You know, on I'm still old school <laughs> paper pencil, and so I'll just keep a running tab of paper pencil if I start doing some planning and. Um, we have a platform where there's built-in activities, but I can also um, download activities into the platform. So most often, like on a weekend, on a Sunday, is when I'll start doing all my planning. I download everything I need to in the therapy platform. I'll just kind of keep a mental note of how long um, I spent doing that, and then I can put it right into the system under my billing. Gotcha. So what is your treatment style? What do you, I, I like to say I use a parent coaching model. Um, mm -hmm. and I like to focus on function. What is your treatment yes. style? Well, it's fluctuated all over the map in the last couple of months. And it also depends on what setting and what age I'm working with. So if I'm doing early intervention in preschool, I really like to follow a parent coaching model as well. Um, I think 
I, from the past 10 years in practice, I know that's what works best. Um, but in school, it's very different. And so, you know, in school, you're really heavily focused on how to support that child academically. Um, I really, uh, I, I do direct therapy, but I prefer to do push into the classroom when possible and when everything schedule wise lines up. Um, I really feel that if I'm not, if I'm not coaching and providing education to the teacher or the para or whoever else is working with the student, then the work that I'm doing one-on-one -on -one is, is kind of lost. So um, whatever setting I'm working in, I'm, I'm heavily focusing on who do I need to educate and how do we make this cohesive for the student as a whole. Um, but definitely in the schools, uh, it's a lot more segregated. I think we have a lot of work to do within our educational system and what is our role as OTs and how can we advocate for ourselves so that we're really giving our students the best possible and also giving the staff and all of the other support professionals that are working with the student the education that they need. Um, yeah. Time is always of the essence, right? And it's hard to get the time, especially if a teacher is teaching a whole classroom full of students. So it's, you have to become really creative of how you can collaborate and communicate with those other professionals so that there's carryover. There's yeah. not carryover then. You know, yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. That's the reason why I started my business is because there wasn't carryover in the clinic, you know, with the parents and they weren't doing anything or they weren't even present um, for our sessions. And right. so, I love telehealth. It lends itself perfectly for that. Mm -hmm. um, what age range are you working with? What's the oldest students that you have? So right now I serve K through 12 between the both, you know, both schools. And then I've also worked on site here in town um, doing more early intervention. And what's your favorite? Oh, <laughs> I don't have a favorite anymore because I just, I love it all. Um, yeah. You know, I think my favorite is just when I, when I have a family, no matter what age the student is, that just gets the buy-in and gets it, right? And is just so eager to learn and takes the tools that I'm teaching and implements it into their routine. Like when I can give a family that aha moment of, oh, I can do this and it doesn't have to be something extra to my plate and it's something that just maybe tweaks something I'm doing or I do something differently and then it just opens up a whole new door for their student and for them, you know, for their family. like. That's my favorite, you know. I love that. I love that yeah. too. It's a good feeling, right? Yeah. What do you tell, like, what do you tell parents to convince them if you have to convince them or like it's their very first session and they're apprehensive? Like what are, what are your key go-to like phrases? Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I think just over time what I've learned is you just have to be really honest and just, you know, frank with families of what the expectations are um, you know, what does this look like? What do I need from you? Um, and then also just opening up that two-way street of communication. Of, if this isn't working, please tell me. You know, this isn't about anything being personal. If I'm not a good fit for your family, let me know. You know, we can look into something else. Um, but I need to hear from you so that I know how to best support you and, and vice versa. So, I mean, I think just always in the beginning, I'm just doing a lot of education of, you know, how this works best or how this can be the most beneficial and really here's what I need from you. And then you tell me what you need from me. Matt, 
I think what I've found most in, in all the years of practice is that families do want to do what's best for their child, but they may not always be in a state to be able to do that. And so, you know, working with them, collaborating with them and figuring out, you know, what's preventing you from being able to be present or be able to do this or, um, you know, and not taking it personally. Sometimes it's nothing that we do or say or didn't do. It's just, you know, maybe they're just not there and they, they need something different at that moment. So. Right. Yeah. I think in my, um, how long has it been since COVID? Like 10 weeks of educating OTs on telehealth. Yeah. Too long. Um, you know, the, the point that I like to drive across is that is communication is key. Like Mm -hmm. you, it's just, it has to be in this format. And yeah. if people don't learn to communicate, they're not going to get the point across to their families. Right. And not even communicating. I, I would say like collaborating and connecting, right? Like somehow you have to find a way to connect with those families that may be so different or may have such different views from what you do on parenting or, you know, culturally or life or, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, we're all different. And so, you know, how can you find a way to connect with them so that you can effectively collaborate, right? It has to be a two-way street. I would say I'm not, you know, I have my background and I have my education, but I'm not the expert. You're the expert in your child and I'm here to kind of guide you and hold your hand. But at some point I also have to release and let you go and you can fly on your own. And that's when I've done my job. When Mm -hmm. you don't need to come to me anymore, you don't need to ask me the questions because you've already got the answers. You've already figured and you know your child. So, you know, that's when I'm like, okay, I've done my job here. It's not, I don't, I always tell them, I don't have a magic wand. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't have the magic one activity that's going to be like, do this. And then your child will magically behave all the time. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's a yeah. two-way street, just like it's a two-way street for the child and the caregiver. You know, it's, they do something in return to something that you did or said. And so, you know, they're reacting to you and you know, I always, I, I don't know who said this or where I heard it, but my favorite thing to tell parents is that, you know, you're, you are their, um, you know, you essentially are your child's frontal lobe mm. <laughs> until, yes. until they have a, a big enough one on their own. And so, you know, you have to be regulated so that they can be they regulated. Can be regulated. You know? oh, so when that. you're telling me that something's going on behaviorally or, you know, they're acting out or something or some routine is not going well. We have to kind of look at that whole big picture of, you know, how is everybody playing into this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm providing parents more therapy often than Mm -hmm. I am providing to the child, but because I'm helping the parent, the parent's able to help the child. And so in the end, it works out better that way. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up, um, that you brought up like the parent being, being able to come up with the, the interventions and be their own child's therapist and all that. I just gave, um, a lecture on telehealth to Kaiser university students. And I said, discharge is more than just did the child meet their goals. Is, is the parent confident and competent and able to do what you would do? Right. Yeah. Right. I love, I love yeah, that. That's when you know you've, you've been successful. Yeah. All right. So, um, I know that you are more than just providing telehealth. 
you're also you also have your blog where you're up to a new project so yeah. why don't you tell everyone where they can find you and all about your new membership yes absolutely so um, if you haven't checked out my blog already you can check that out at www.growinglittlebrains.com um, and i have been blogging mainly about telehealth um, interestingly enough when i uh, decided to go into the whole online world and start my website, which has kind of been thoughts in my head for years and years and finally got them out. Um, I thought I would really get out there to help parents and serve parents. And that was going to be my intended audience. And then fast forward, March hit and COVID hit. And I just was compelled to help other therapists because I, I remember how hard it was two years ago when I started in teletherapy and all the planning time and all the time that went into finding resources and how do I now take what I knew and did in person and put this online. Um, I just, I, I couldn't imagine having to be thrown into that overnight and just been like, here you go, mm -hmm. <laughs> figure it out. Yeah. So I just said, you know, I've got to get out there and help therapists first. And so where this will go, I don't know, but right now I'm just feeling like I'm being called to help therapists. So I got online and <laughs> and I started blogging about, you know, teletherapy and mainly school based and then it kind of evolved into, okay, now how do we help some of maybe the early intervention therapists in preschool? And that's pretty much what what the blog has consisted of mostly. And I think, you know, we'll we'll just I'm just going with what everybody needs right now. Um, but in addition and through that, what I'm finding is that I love all the support that's been happening because of this time and all the Facebook groups that have started and just like wonderful collaboration. And I said, you know, once we go back to in person, right, at some point or mm -hmm. what this is going to look like in the fall, who knows? But I just think that there's an there's room for more collaboration and more support. So I created um, the Therapy Village, and it's going to be a membership um, month to month where. Occupational therapists can come to start. We'll be focusing on that birth to five, birth to six population. So any OT that's working in that birth to five, birth to six can come. Um, it will be a monthly membership where there'll be some um, topic training and that could be delivered by me through like a slide presentation that's recorded and housed on our platform. Um, it may be a guest lecture of some sort of a topic um, that the group is interested in. So the group will have a say in what they want to learn, you know, so what do you want to learn next month? You know, what's, what are the problems you're facing right now? What do you need to learn more about? And so there'll be a monthly topic presentation, and then there'll also be a monthly Q and A where they can get on a zoom call live with me or the guest lecturer. And we'll talk about questions that they have based on the lessons that were delivered. And then the most exciting part is that I know everyone keeps saying, you know, uh, I need more activities and just like tell me what to do and just put it in a nice form so that I don't have to spend like thousands of hours on Pinterest and Facebook searching for all these different things. And I've been doing a lot of that on my blog of just pulling together resources and links. And so each month they'll get a monthly themed lesson plan. So for those students that are older, like preschool ages, some of some early intervention too will be appropriate for, there'll be a list of find more activities, sensory activities, books, pretend play, all sorts of things all wrapped into one with all the links needed for each. And um, something really cool that I put together last night is a 
Google slide presentation where all the links are embedded. So if you're doing teletherapy, you can just pull up your Google presentation, all the links will be there. You'll have your books, your songs, your finger plays, your um, drawing activities, and um, everything will kind of be done. And so each month I'm hoping that the group will contribute to maybe some themes and some activities that they've tried in the past that they like. So this can really become more of a collaborative community. It doesn't always all have to be me putting it out, um, but they can contribute and I'll be the one to compile it and kind of get it into a nice pretty format so that it's done and just less planning time for everybody. So I'm super excited. The doors will open Monday. And so, yeah. That's awesome. You're meeting such a huge need right now in this community. I'm in part of all the Facebook groups too. And everybody's like, give me ideas. I don't know what to do. And so you're meeting such a huge need with this membership. And I'm super excited for you and to watch you grow with that. Mm -hmm. Is the information for that in the same uh, website, Growing Little Brains? Yeah. So if you go to growinglittlebrains.com, there's a tab called the Therapy Village. Right now it just says wait list, but on Monday, the doors will be open for enrollment. So I'm trying to keep the group small. Um, so if you're interested, sign up sooner than later. Um, I'll try to keep the group to around 20. Um, the group, the best part about it too, is that the group will be considered a professional study group, meaning it will be eligible for MBCOT credits. So each month that you're a member, you can earn one credit for participating with the monthly content and the Q&A. So. That is awesome. Yeah. So exciting. All right, Melanie, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks uh, for having me. You're welcome. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. If you're an occupational therapist and you want to know more about telehealth, be sure to join the Telehealth OT Facebook group for more information. I'll catch you on the next episode.